Today's episode of the Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you're someone who gets colds or sick a lot, then something I've started doing for that daily is taking Pillar's Ultra Immune C. I just hate being sick, particularly when it's interrupting my training and social life. Ultra Immune C contains high dosage vitamin C, vitamin D3, and zinc. Basically, the three key things it does is support immune system health, enhance immune system function, and act as an antioxidant. Damo, the owner of Pillar, was actually the person who suggested I started taking it, uh, and I'm yet to be sick since I have started that. I think, personally, using Pillar's triple magnesium at night, so my sleep is great, because I'm a terrible sleeper historically, combined with Ultra Immune C is the key. Remember, if you want to grab yourself some Pillar to use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off your order, uh, and you can find it at the Pillar website in Australia and Europe, and exclusively through the feed in the USA. Lucy Charles Barclay, the biggest name in female triathlon. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I, I guess the best place to start would be your most recent race, the PTO European Open, where you led for almost the entire race, really, and, and ended up finishing in third behind Annie Haag and Ash Gentle. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about your day there? Yeah. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good start to the season in Ibiza. I think it pretty much reflected exactly where I felt I was at in my training and it was a good start to the season like arguably probably the biggest race I've done to kick off my season so I knew that I needed to be on good form to compete with those ladies and to have a good race with the likes of Anna Haug and Ashley Gentle was super cool and it's always tough when you're leading for such a large amount of the race but knowing there's those strong girls behind you so I think it was a really good place to start it's definitely given me some big motivation to go away and work hard before the next one um but yeah I really enjoyed it which I think is always the main thing I came from my swim background and the main reason I switched to triathlon was because I just wanted to have fun with this sport and I feel like I'm still doing that even competing at the highest level so that was the biggest takeaway for me I sort of looked at you going into that race and in my mind you were the unbackable favorite a lot of people were talking about Ash Gentle and Tamara Jewett and, and Arne Haug and Daniela Reef, But I thought, look, if Lucy's on form, if she's had, you know, three, four, five months to, to sort of train consistently that she didn't have last year uh, and we saw what you did last year, I don't see how anyone sees her all day. I, I sort of thought you would swim off the front, bike off the front and, and hold on on the run and, and win. Can you talk to me about how you felt going into the race? Did you think that, it, you know, did you think you were a really good chance to win or was there something else and, and you knew that maybe you weren't quite in the shape you needed to be to, to win that race? Yeah, I'd say in all honesty, this kind of start to this year has been really, really tough. The only thing that actually felt good in training leading into the race was my swimming. So I knew that that part of my race would be good, but in terms of my biking and running, I've just felt like I really struggled. I, I did have a couple of illnesses like just spread across the early part of kind of my building block into the season. And I just felt like I struggled to find that form. And obviously going up to altitude, it's always hard to know kind of where you're at. And I felt like I had like a handful of good sessions across the nearly five weeks that I was training in Font Rameau. So I saw glimmers of greatness, um, but a lot of the time it was just really frustrating. I felt like I was like, why can't I get back to that kind of top form that I saw in 2021? So I think that's kind of why I said in Ibiza, I felt like the race reflected how my training had been going. It definitely isn't me at my best, but it's a very good starting point to now build on. Um, but yeah, it was quite a tough kind of start to the season and I'm hopeful that it can only get better from here. So with the race itself, Lucy, can you sort of talk to me like almost something I love, like almost give me a little bit of a race report as to how you saw the race play out from sort of swim start until when you ultimately crossed the line in third? Yeah, I guess 
one of the really funny things actually was obviously um, with the PTO racing, we actually get to pick our start point. Um, we get to pick our start number where we're going to line up against the other ladies um, on the beach. And I had thought I'd pick to be on the left side. So when I walked up to the start and I was like, well, my spot's not there. And then I suddenly realized actually I'm down on the far right. So straight away I was like, oh, this isn't how I thought this was going to go. Um, actually when the gun went it didn't matter at all um I felt like I just kind of got straight into my groove and was quite pleasantly surprised that no one was on my feet and actually the the sea had got a lot choppier than when the men swam we kind of watched the men and it looked pretty calm and then when we got in it felt like a swell had really come in and that actually really suits me as an ex-open water swimmer It, it kind of is the conditions that I can thrive in and the only thing that could have made the swim better was if it had been non wetsuit for me but I was super happy with the swim. It kind of just set me off in a in a really good place to go and get onto the bike. And I guess um, heading onto the bike, I actually decided to not have any heart rate or power data on this race purely because I, from my training, I just didn't really know what kind of power I'd want to push. Um, I didn't want to see that my heart rate was. I mean, your heart rate is going to be max in this kind of race in any way. So I feel like it's almost irrelevant to see that data. So. On the bike, I felt okay. I didn't feel amazing. I felt like I was riding strong and it was a super easy course to one ride because it wasn't technical, but also really cool to see the other girls. You got kind of updates all the time of the gap because we were U-turning at each end. So that made it for a fun race. And I definitely, I always get a little buzz if I'm growing that lead. And occasionally I'd be, I would be gaining that lead, then it would be coming back down. And it just made it super exciting. I could kind of see who was in the groups behind me, how it was going to pan out. And I knew I was in a good position to potentially get a podium at the end of the day, but I could see that Ashley wasn't far behind. Anna Haug was definitely closer than I wanted to be. So, um, yeah, I just knew that I needed to have a really good run if I was going to, one, make it on the podium or be at the top of the podium. And I didn't really know how my run was going to be, I guess. Like I said, I'd probably only had a handful of, of good run sessions where I felt like myself. So actually, when I got through transition and started the run, I, I didn't feel like I had that real kind of kick. It felt like I was almost in like Iron Man groove my my cadence was quite slow I just didn't have that kick that I wanted so I knew that I just had to do the best I could and, and when those gaps were coming down it's a case of well I'm doing everything I can and I'm still actually enjoying being in a great position where I was um but yeah like I said to come away with third in the first race of the season in a really strong field I'm definitely happy with it and it's definitely given me a little bit of fire to go away and work really really hard to hopefully go one better or two better in the next PTO race. I want to talk about your swim for a little bit. And I know everyone is like so hyper fixated on, on how good a swimmer you are. But the thing I always hear from other professionals and, and talking to Reese, um, your, your husband, is that the difference between you in the pool and open water is quite large. And most people would expect you to be sort of the same level of swimmer in the pool and open water. But from what I've always been told, it's that you're super impressive in the open water. And then when you're in the pool, still very impressive, but more human. Can you talk to me about why that is, Lucy? Um, I guess we could go back to kind of my swimming days where I I was always a distance athlete. So in the pool, my event was the 800 or 1500 freestyle. Um, I love training for that event. I kind of thrived off being the hardest worker in the squad it felt like if you were a distance athlete you had to do far more mileage and it just felt super tough and I definitely thrived off that but actually when I ventured into doing some open water swimming the success came pretty quickly and I think my stroke was just really suited to choppy conditions I have a high cadence stroke so it seems to just work in open water better than swimming in a pool and I remember when I would go and do like a, a block of open water racing and I'd come back to pool swimming and a coach would be like, what has happened to your stroke? Like, it looks horrendous. Like, what are you doing? Um, but it just worked so well in the open water. And I guess I had a small amount of international racing in the swimming pool with a little bit of success, but my success really came from the open water. And I guess I thrived off of the longer distance, like doing the 5 and 10K. It just seemed to suit me better the longer the distance. So, um, yeah, I guess my stroke is suited to it, but I I find it more fun as well. And I think fun is what 
<laughs> makes me do well. So if you enjoy something, you just seem to do well at it. And actually in my training, I only ever really train in the pool. I don't train in open water because I feel like I can actually get the most for myself from training in a pool. Um, and then luckily my stroke and the way that I swim just seems to transfer over really well to the open water. I've always wanted to ask you this question and it's when you're racing a race like the PTO European Open or we could go talk about any big championship race you've done really, you set out to gap people in the swim and and like for you I assume it's um, it's not like the most successful swim ever if you do have someone on your feet like for example when you had Lottie Wilms on your feet I looked at that and thought like Lucy would probably not be that happy with that, she should she should have a bit of a gap there. And do you think that you're putting in more effort? Like, do you think that you're accumulating more fatigue than the girls swimming two, three minutes slower than you, like Arn Hag or Ash Gentle? Or do you think because of like your lifetime of swimming, um, the, the way you've trained forever, do you think that you're actually like accumulating less fatigue, um, having like less physiological impact on yourself to, to make that, like to get that two to three minute lead? versus the girls are who are like having to chase to maintain two to three minutes I mean yeah I'd say it's, it's definitely all relative I would say that it, it's probably very similar and actually the harder I'm pushing the swim the more I'm hurting the girls behind me because my background in swimming just allows me to swim that much quicker and I guess I I've never been in a position where I thought actually let's go and do a race where you take the swim so easy maybe you sit in on the bike and then you see how you can run and maybe I should go and do a race and see what happens. And a lot of people have always said, well, why don't you just swim easier and then you'd run faster? And I don't know if that would be the case. I actually don't think it would be. I feel like actually me swimming off the front and doing my thing, I'm probably using the same amount of energy as the girls behind me, maybe even a bit less. And I guess you can compare that to someone like Anna Haug on the run and myself. She's arguably actually using less energy than me but running faster she's just more suited to it she's done it for her whole life so I guess it would be similar um even though I'm I'm running slower I'm probably exerting more energy so I'd say it's exactly the same in the swim that my stroke is designed to to swim that way in the open water and my energy I don't feel like I'm actually using that much energy when I'm when I'm swimming at that speed so um yeah who knows maybe I'll go and do a race and, and take this one easy just sit in and, and see what happens to the back half of my race but I don't feel like I would actually run that much faster if I swam slower and so now with the the PTO European Open out of the way and and you talked about the disrupted start of the year you've had and and it was good to to get that one under the belt and, and you're motivated so what now what does the the like the the short-term future of 2023 look like for you and, and what does the overall picture for 2023 look like for you? Yeah, I'd say from the direction that the PTO races are going, they're definitely my biggest goals for the season. I, I love racing the top women in the sport. I think it allows you to push yourself that bit further to find the areas where you need to improve and and those small little gains that you can make. So they they are my big goals for this season. Um, obviously, there's still Kona at the end of the year. That's still a massive goal of mine. I feel like if I'd won the race, it probably wouldn't be. But the fact that I've been runner up four times, it, it does make me super hungry to go and win that race. So um, that's always in the back of my mind. And I feel like these PTO races are hopefully going to be a good stepping stone for me to kind of hopefully translate the speed that we need for those races into the longer distance. Um, but to be honest, I'm just an athlete who loves to race um, and loves to race the top women in the sport. So um, any opportunity I get to race, I, I definitely want to take it. If you could have one of the two this year, you could win the Singapore Open and the US Open or Kona, which one would you pick? Oh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I'm going to have to say Kona. I think the fact that next year I won't be racing in Kona, it will be in Nice, uh, just makes it kind of, I want that one even more because it feels like I'd have to wait two years before I'd be back in Kona taking that title. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely is the biggest one for me this year. So talk to me about what you have to do to finally win Kona because it's getting like, it's actually getting a bit crazy how often you've come second there in different ways. It sort of hasn't ever been the same, I don't think. And the, the people beating you have, have changed. It's like, 
you know, I feel like you're such a different athlete than if you looked back to 2018 when you when you first came second compared to 2022 when when you came second. Tell me about what you have to do to win that race this year. Yeah, I mean, the first time I I came second, I think I just turned 23 years old and thought that the win was definitely coming in the next year or two, and I definitely do it. And this year I'll be 30 in Kona, so. Um, I'm definitely a different athlete. I'm such a stronger, more well-rounded athlete. So it's hard to know exactly what I need to do to actually go and win when year on year I do get better. And it's like you said, it's never been the same kind of race. I've always had a different way of racing and I've always had the same outcome. So I just think it's a case of having a really solid build, which I feel like I've been having a lot better this year compared to last year with the injury. So I just feel like I need to just keep building on that. And if I can race the way that I know I haven't done yet, so I've had a strong swim, I've had a strong bike, but I feel like I've never run to my full potential in Kona. I feel like if I can do that, then I can definitely win the race. But these ladies aren't going to make it easy for me. They're all up in their game year on year. So it's going to be super tough to win it, but I've still got to believe that I can. And I definitely do. It's just, continuing to work hard being consistent and hopefully it will come through by that race can you talk to me a little bit more specifically lucy about what you will do with your run is it more of the same and hope for consistency when it comes to not being injured and not being sick or are you actually actually actively making changes to to what you're going to do in your run training over the year yeah i think over the past few years the best i saw myself running was in 2021 which kind of feels like it accidentally happened it was a case of me doing a lot of different racing obviously I did some arena games super league um I actually did the Olympic swimming trials and all of that training just seemed to accidentally add up to me running better than I ever had and when we look back I just think I was actually super consistent we didn't do a huge volume of running but I was just consistent I didn't have any interruptions from illness or injury we just continued to tick away the whole year and I stayed strong in the gym and just a lot of my sessions felt very good so I feel like that's the key goal for this year is stay healthy stay injury free and be consistent and hopefully we just see that kind of gradual build week on week month on month and see the progress I feel like we've seen some greatness in training before my running that has never really translated into racing. Maybe we did see that in the world champs in 2021 in Utah at the 70.3. But I just feel like I haven't done that again since. And it's quite frustrating. I feel like that's why I've been quite frustrated in my training at the start of this year, because I'm like, what does it take to get that form back? Um, but I do feel confident that it is coming now. I just need to be patient and consistent. And yeah, hopefully we'll start to see that come through in the racing. I want to go back and talk about that that World Championships, that Ironman 70.3 World Championships in 2021. It's probably, I'll, I'll get back to it in a second. But before we get there, one last one on Kona this year. You just raced Arne Haag um, in, at the PTO European Open and we all saw her put on the crazy performance she did and then we saw what, what Chelsea Sodaro did last year um, where you came second in one of the, the best performances of, at Kona we've ever seen by a male or female. Who do you look at this year as, as your biggest competition? Is it those two girls or is it is it other people? I mean, it's hard to say that um, Anna Haug isn't the biggest competition for Kona this year. If she can continue that form, if she can stay healthy, she's going to be a force to reckon with in Kona. Um, she's obviously won the race before. She knows how to win it. Um, likewise with Chelsea, she had a phenomenal race last year and the way that she came through, she almost just paced the race to perfection and the way she came through on that run, it was just unbelievable. So I still feel both of the girls are on my main competition, but I feel like actually kind of being patient throughout the year, like I'm definitely nowhere near my top form at this part of the year. And if I can just keep building through to Kona, I, I will be in a good place. And Anna Haug is definitely in amazing form now, but she's got to hold on to that. And that that can be really hard, particularly in this sport. We're, we're often on a knife edge between our, our health and staying injury free. So um yeah that's my main goal for this season stay healthy stay injury free and just keep building through but um she is looking incredibly strong in a house so um yeah I think it's going to be an amazing race whatever happens 
hypothetically speaking, are you going to approach your training and, and your build this year to just being the most well-rounded, best version of yourself you can be and then execute all three as well as you can on race day? Or will you have a plan in place to try and break up the race and ensure that if you're going to come off the bike in front at T2 that you have a, a massive gap on, on Arne Haug knowing maybe what she's capable of running, which might be five or six minutes quicker than anyone else on that day if she has her best run? Yeah, I think the, the smart game for me is definitely to to swim off, to break up the pack. I think when I'm in a race, the swim goes very differently. It kind of shatters the field and that that plays into definitely my favour. Um, I think it would be useful to actually have some girls with me on the swim that could make the bike ride a bit easier when you're riding that distance on your own. It, it must take a lot more toll than people that are able to work in a group and conserve a bit more energy. but at the same time, it doesn't make sense for me to take the swim a bit easier, sit in on the bike and maybe only have a five minute gap over Anna Haug rather than maybe a bit more. So, um, yeah, that, it's, it's hard to know, but I feel like I do need to just continue to focus on myself being that full whole rounded athlete and hopefully run to my potential and hopefully then even if it is a five minute gap, I've got to believe that I can stay in front. Um, but yeah, I'd probably hope for a bit more than that. There is absolutely no one in long course triathlon, like full distance triathlon at the moment, who like standing on the start lines at the Ironman World Championships this year could swim as fast as you. Like if you want, you can come into T2 in front with a gap to second. That's just a fact. But hearing you like talk about that before, that it would be a little bit nice to have maybe some company on the bike so you could sit in, make it easier on yourself and and make the run on yourself a little bit easier, but also get a gap to people like um, maybe it's Anne Hag and Chelsea Sadara or even a Cat Matthews type. Would you ever consider going to a group of like stronger swimmers who you think you can beat when it comes down to it in a running race and go, hey, let's work together for once. Like let's get a group off the front. Let's make sure the winner comes from, from this group. I mean, potentially, yes. I guess it would be a case of if we're going to do that, how much of a gap are we going to have on those other women by the end of the bike? If if it's going to add up to 10 minutes, then it's 100% worth doing and it would be worth kind of pre-planning that with with those athletes and saying about how are we going to do this. But at the same time, I'd need to know that their swim is going to be strong enough to do that. Are they going to focus on making sure their swim is that good and potentially they're not going to do that. And I guess my my dream scenario of, of winning that race in Kona would be a gun to tape win. I think it's what I've always imagined, but that's how I would win the race. So yeah, maybe tactically that's not the smartest thing, but that's the way I want to win that race. I really love that because now you've said that, you're right. That's how I picture you winning this race as well. And I'm sure it's how everyone pitches you winning the race, which is like, you finally nail it. And like you've had some fantastic races in Kona where you've got close, but you've never quite nailed it the way that only someone like you can. Like your four second places are lifetime results for most people. But there is like this feeling that I think most triathlon fans have that one day you will win Kona by eight minutes and like you'll literally do it from start to finish and, and no one will catch you. So it's a really interesting point you you make there that Maybe it isn't just about winning it. It's like also the way you win it is important to you. Yeah, definitely is. <laughs> so let's go back to that that 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Championships. And the reason I'm so excited to talk about that particular race is because, in my opinion, it's the, the greatest female triathlon performance of all time. Like Taylor Nib in 2022 has a very strong case and maybe so does Daniela Reef at Kona in 2018. But in my mind, that that day you had at the 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Championships is the best we've ever seen when it comes to long course female triathlon. Can you take me inside that day and the lead into that day and just tell me the entire story of it? Yeah, I guess leading into that race, um, Reese decided that we would go and do a fairly short altitude block. I'd never done any altitude training before. So he decided, you know what, if if this is the year where we're just going to try new things and obviously I, I'd raced across multiple disciplines of triathlon and let's just try something new, see what happens for this 70.3 World Championships. And leading into this, all of my training had been geared towards trying to win Kona and then Kona didn't happen. So we kind of switched the focus maybe three, four weeks out from the 70.3 Worlds and 
that became the ultimate a race of the year so we went up we went up to altitude we did just under three weeks I think training up there and I actually had quite a rocky lead into that I'd, I'd got sick at the Collins Cup and um we went up to altitude and the first few days I couldn't train because I was so unwell and we was like oh is this the right thing to be doing and then I quickly managed to turn it around like I felt really good swimming and actually I was able to run really well even at altitude and I kind of started to just get this confidence that actually if I can be doing these power numbers on the bike if I can be running this speed up at this altitude then I'm going to be great when we go down to St George and I remember we we decided one day just to go down to St George and do a swim workout and I just felt incredible. I was like, wow, this, this altitude training is, is definitely working for me. And I just felt super confident. I remember going down to the race and doing the pro briefing. And I can't remember if I said in that briefing that I felt like I was in the shape to win the race, or maybe I kept that information within me, but I definitely just had this confidence and I've never really felt that before going into a race kind of, um, in the morning, setting up my transition, going down to the swim start and just feeling like I can win this race and I basically got in the swim gapped everyone immediately came out the swim um with a, a solid gap and got onto the bike felt really good on the bike I don't think my legs have ever felt that good on the bike and kind of got to snow canyon and just went crazy up the hill I remember people saying like we can't even see the girls behind you and I think that just gave me such an incredible lift and getting onto that run again that's the best my running's ever felt off the bike I just felt so strong and I guess I was running with no pressure because I had such a big gap. I was just kind of floating around. And by the time I got into the second lap, I think when I had like 5K to go, I was like, I know I've won this. Like, I feel so good and no one's even close. So um, I think that was the most magical thing about that race was kind of knowing quite a long way out from the finish line, like I've got this win in the bag and running down that finish shoot was probably the the best moment in my triathlon career so far so yeah it was an incredible day and it's sort of that race you talk about isn't it where you were like off the front from second one like literally I think you broke everyone's feet like 10 meters in and and then your gap just grew and grew and grew and there was never a point where it wasn't growing like I, I can't remember off the top of my head but in modern triathlon I don't think there's been a championship race where someone's won the race and had the fastest swim, the fastest bike and the fastest run apart from you that day. And I was racking my brain trying to think of it. I might be missing one, but like even Gustav that day who, you know, people widely regard his race that day as one of the greatest performances we've ever seen as well. He had the fastest bike and the run, but like the 15th or 16th fastest swim, whereas, yeah, you had the fastest of all three. And it wasn't against no one. Like almost everyone was there. Taylor Nibb was there, Cat Matthews, Emma Pallant-Brown, Holly Lawrence, Daniela Reef, like it, Tamara Jewett, it was a stacked field as well. And yeah, so I guess that's what you talk about and, and shows you are capable on your best day of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's one of those days that when I'm struggling and training, I just think back to that day and be like, you're doing it to get back to that. Like I never thought I'd be sat here in 2023 thinking, God, I just want to get back to my 2021 form. I, I thought, oh, I'll be building on that and kind of going step by step. So yeah, at the moment, I feel like I'm I'm chasing that form again, but hopefully I can now start to build on that this year. And yeah, it would be a dream scenario to go into a race again and be able to deliver the fastest split on each discipline. I think um, I love that I was able to do that in that race. And I definitely felt like going into that race, I had a point to prove. A lot of people had doubted my run. They were like, well, she's great on the swim and bike, but can she realistically run fast enough? So in that race, to be able to have the fastest run split was um, a real great feeling to kind of stick it to the people that had doubted me. So, yeah, I just want to get back to that. And for people who don't know, I'm assuming most people do, but Lucy won by over eight minutes that day to second and then everyone was pretty tight behind her. So just so far out in front, it was ridiculous to watch. And if you haven't watched it, go back. You can. There's highlights of that race on YouTube. You should definitely go on and watch it. It's, it's a really crazy, crazy day from Lucy. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Lucy, but 2021, that, that same year, that was the year that you made the shift from being coached by yourself and Reese full-time to, to bringing Dan Larang, the, the famous triathlon coach, in. Yeah, so we we kind of made the switch quite early that year. The the main thing was that Dan Larang had heard that I was um, interested in trying to 
race in the Olympic distance, potentially try and qualify for the Olympic Games um, whilst still continuing to race long distance. So he reached out to us initially because he was just really intrigued by that idea. He felt like he could possibly add something to the team and and yeah, just give a, another insight to us. Um, so we decided, yeah, this this definitely can't be a bad thing. We've always kind of never pl- proclaimed to know everything in triathlon. We're always learning. So to have someone with that external expertise as part of our team uh, seemed like a great idea. And obviously I had some amazing results in 2021. He kind of just gelled perfectly into our team. Like I would say, Yes, Dan is my coach, but Reese still is that day-to-day eyes, ears, coach kind of on the ground. And that kind of combination seems to work incredibly well because obviously Dan can't be here every single day, but Reese can. So he's very good at adapting the plan and, and Dan's completely um, fine with us doing that. So at the moment, it seems to be a, an amazing partnership. And yeah, I'm super happy to be working with him. So when it comes to the nuts and bolts of it, in 2021, when you started working with Dan, shifting from the system that you and Reese had created, what actually changed? Um, I wouldn't say a huge amount tra- uh, changed. It was um, it was quite obvious that I was exploring different things in terms of, obviously, I, I played around with the arena games. I went and did the Olympic swimming trials. Um, I did some shorter distance racing. So um we was kind of just doing whatever training kind of fitted leading into um the next event that I was doing so it it definitely wasn't a typical year and I feel like now we've kind of settled into knowing okay I'm, I'm sticking with the middle and long distance um it's become a lot easier for everyone because we're all on the same page it's super simple um but yeah in terms of our training I I wouldn't say anything's changed too much um I definitely probably used to train too hard all the time before I was coached by Dan like I'm an athlete who loves to just grind and push it and smash my training and Dan has definitely got me training more in the correct zone on my sessions um and just saying right this is this is how this session is going to be you stay in this zone um and when it's hard I go hard so I think that that's something I've had to get used to because as a swimmer I guess most of my training was very intense very hard um so yeah we have possibly changed a little bit in that sense but I guess before that Reese was there on the ground and if it looked like I was pushing too hard he would always tell me to ease back or if he saw that actually I looked very good on that day he would say actually okay you can push on a bit in this session but yeah he's still there doing that every single day so I wouldn't say too much has changed in that sense. Do you look back at 2021 as your best year ever? I would say it was my best year ever, but not really based purely on results, just on the fact that I was having so much fun. Like I just loved it. I loved the challenge of throwing myself into different things. Um, And that was all I ever wanted when I came into triathlon was to just have fun with this. So I had the most fun in that year and then the results just came with it. So I feel like that's kind of what I'm thinking this year is actually my main focus just needs to be having fun and enjoying what I'm doing because with that seems to come good results so yeah that's kind of been my mindset um leading into this year form swimming goggles are by far my favorite piece of training equipment I found in 2023 well my super shoes are still probably equal favorite with my form goggles but I found them way before 2023 so you know what I mean But the point is, if you train for triathlon and you don't use form goggles, you don't know what you're missing out on. I I certainly didn't before I started using them this year. So you've seriously just got to go and try them for yourself. The absolute best thing about them is the live pace feedback you get when you're swimming. So you know exactly how fast you're swimming and it helps so much when you're doing sessions. So you don't have to guess the pace. It's just like literally there right in front of your eyes. Christian Blumenfeld uses them as well. I know he loves them and there's a reason he uses them. There's a reason we both use them. So if you're not using form goggles and you're just using standard goggles, you just won't know what I mean when I say you're missing out. But yeah, trust me and Christian, once you do start using them, you'll never go back. So go and grab yourself um, some on the form website and use the code HTT15 for 15% off. I look back at 2021 as like the year of racing that it was. And it's a tricky year because it still wasn't quite a full year of racing, but if you look at what you did achieve 
which was you know winning the 70.3 world championships coming top five at at wtcs races winning a couple of other 70.3s ending the year you know ranked number one at the end of the year um it was like an insane year do you think that the like racing of short distance and the like the subtle changes in training you would have made to do that actually was the thing that that made your year so successful and led to like that crazy performance that we saw at the 70.3 world championships I mean, I definitely would say that. I think arguably actually the, the biggest thing was the massive swim block that I did leading into the Olympic trials. And I did smash myself every single day in the pool. I was actually super lucky at the time because most um, swimming pools were still closed, but I had access to the Olympic um, swimming pool in London and I was training there when no one was in the centre. And I remember the the British diving squad would come in the pool after me and they'd see me like laying on the poolside almost dead at the end of a session but just with a smile on my face knowing that I'd absolutely came that workout so I think doing that back to back to back just gave me an incredible fitness and I guess my body is used to that training so it just seems to respond really well to it so it had given me this incredible fitness but obviously a lot of it was intense and fast so it translated really well to doing the speed on the bike and the speed on the run and a lot of those sessions that I did whilst I wasn't doing huge volume of bike and run it was quite intense so I think I just was able to probably push my vo2 max up to somewhere it maybe hadn't been before which worked super well for the short distance racing but then just was able to be transferred over to the middle distance super easy it would have been interesting to see how that did transfer over to the Ironman distance. Like, would it actually have worked or was it just good enough for the middle distance? But I guess we'll never know as there was no code in that year. But yeah, like I said, I just seemed to love what I was doing that year more than I ever have. Can you talk to me a little bit about that that swim block you did? So the 70.3 World Championships that year were in the middle of September. When was that block that you did? So that block was super early in the year. I think I raced um, Challenge Miami and then I was I was already starting the block there. So leading into that race, I was still smashing some workouts like on race week because I knew I had this 1500 coming up. So I think the block was probably maybe six, seven weeks long, started in March. So um, yeah, it was still quite early in the year, but I guess I just kept that momentum going throughout the year. Like I I didn't necessarily massively focus on swimming, but when I was swimming, I was always swimming well. So I guess it just never really dropped off. And definitely the swim that I had in the 70.3 worlds in 2021 was probably the best swim I've had um, over that distance. But I, I do feel like we're starting to get back there this year, which is quite exciting because I know that it just sets my racing up so well if I'm if I'm swimming in that kind of form. Even like that swim that you did, probably not far after that block at the WTCS Leeds race where you led like Jessica Learmont out of the water and just strung that swim out. I remember watching that and just being like, like I thought you were probably the best swimmer in the field, but I didn't think you would damage a WTCS field quite like that. Like with Jessica Learmont and Maya Kingman in there, it was pretty crazy what you did then. So then to follow it up that whole year and, and see what you did, you know, it like – it makes a lot of sense what you're saying about that swim block being the reason why. Does that mean that you guys have like looked at that as like the blueprint to, hey, we had a pretty special year in 2021. Like look at what we did at Leeds. Look at what we did at the 70.3 World Championships. You weren't, you weren't struggling the back end of that 70.3 World Championships bike or run. You were, if, that, if, that course, if that run on that day was 10K longer, you were winning that race by probably 11, 12 minutes. It was just that obvious that you were getting stronger. Um, or, or at least not fading like some other girls around you were. Do you look back at that that block and and go, should we try and replicate this again this year? Yeah, I think we we are to some extent thinking that. And even in my kind of block that I did in Front Remote, my, my big focus was actually on swim there. Like I did a, a very high amount of swim volume, some good intensity there. And week on week, we saw great progress. So I think whilst... I was doing that block before in 2021. I, I really was doing barely any bike or run and I don't really want to do this that this year knowing that I definitely have got the full Ironman at the end of the year. Um, but it definitely, I love swimming when I'm swimming well and actually 
I like to build on that momentum. And it's quite good at home as well because I, I swim with the swim squad as well. So there's other good athletes in the water and a lot of the training is more based around kind of high threshold VO2 max. And I think that that just suits me and allows me to really push up my fitness quite fast. And last question on this specific swim block, because I just I find it fascinating, to be honest. Um, how much volume were you doing? Like how many days a week were you swimming? How how big were your sessions in, term, in terms of volume? Can you like maybe take me through a little bit of like what a typical week in that massive swim block looked like? Yeah, so I was swimming every single day, uh, most days swimming twice a day, which was um, like a, a 5K swim in the morning and that would probably be 3K of like proper hard VO2 max threshold work. Um, and then in the evening I would – either go back to the pool again and do it an easier session or I just swim in the endless pool doing more technique based work so it pretty much was every morning was VO2 max or threshold every evening was technique based work we kind of we went with that approach because we knew I had a huge engine I didn't really need the endurance particularly for a 1500 meter when you're racing for four hours or up to eight nine hours you do not need any more endurance to do like a, a 15 16 minute race so that's why all of my training was pretty much based around really getting that speed back and I guess like typically when I was swimming before that I'd be happy to be holding maybe like a 110 long course whereas I was able to rep like 105 106 long course for 3100s like I hadn't really seen that speed since went back when I was a swimmer so I guess I was doing at least 50k of swimming a week, which was still less than when I was a swimmer because back when I was swimming, it would be like 80k, 100k a week. So that did allow me to still do some bike and run, but actually I kept the bike and run quite intense and short as well. So like track workouts, um, VO2 max work on the bike, a lot of kind of high intensity gym work and it was all focused around like how quick can I swim that 1500 and not really too worried about the triathlon training. It was let's just try and get this swim as quick as we can. And so talking about this year a little bit more, do you know like where you're going to be based? Are you going to continue doing some longer altitude camps? Like what does the next sort of six to eight weeks look like for you? So I'll pretty much be based at home um, for the next, I think, eight nine weeks um I actually currently can't travel to Europe unless I get a visa which is proving really difficult so um yeah I'll be trained at home um it's the summer now well hopefully it's the summer soon it doesn't really look like it yet um but yeah we should be able to get some good training at home as the weather gets better riding outside I have an incredible setup at home with with the pain cave that we've built with the endless pool and gym equipment and wahoo kicker setup so I can't really complain. I, I have a great setup at home, the swim squad to train with, um, support of Reese and our family who just make training that bit more fun. We don't have to leave the dogs, which is always a bonus. So yeah, I'll be at home for at least the next nine, 10 weeks. Um, and then we'll, we'll decide what we're going to do after that. I think I definitely do really well off of an altitude block. So maybe we will look at doing that or we'll look at doing a, a kind of quite a hot and humid camp leading into Kona um but yeah we're kind of just going to take it stage by stage um I would have liked to actually race a bit sooner but since I actually can't go to Europe and don't fancy doing any long haul traveling at the moment I feel like I'll probably race next in the UK maybe once or twice just to kind of do some testing different ways of racing um in the UK where it's not such a high pressure race before we lead into the PTO races can you talk to me about this visa situation, Lucy? I've sort of seen it on Instagram and, and wondered what's actually going on. Yeah, so basically thanks to Brexit, I can now only spend 90 days in Europe out of every 180 days. Um, so we kind of in around March time realised that this would be an issue. So we started looking into getting a Spanish visa. However, I needed to actually be in the UK and hand over my passport in order to get a visa. Um, and we knew that that wouldn't be possible or I'd only have a really small window before we travelled from Lanzarote to Fontremeau. I think we was only at home for two weeks. So I had a two week window to try and do this. Um, but they told me it could take six weeks um, and I didn't want to hand over my passport and then know oh, I can't go and do my altitude camp because I haven't got a passport. So whilst we was away in Font Rameau, we were speaking with 
various British immigration lawyers, German immigration lawyers, and they were looking at um, trying to get me a visa so I could race um, in the 70.3 Kreitschgau, which is this weekend, um, to which none of them seemed to know what to do. They were all kind of completely bewildered by the situation, I think, because Brexit is still quite new, even though it happened a long time ago. Um, there's still not really perfect rules and things in place for us to get a visa without physically going to the embassy in the UK uh, or the German embassy in the UK, handing over my passport, going through all the paperwork. Um, so it's actually a really long winded process. So for now, um, I could go and get a visa uh, now, but it could take up to six weeks. So um, hence why we've decided, actually, I think it would just be easier to stay in the UK, train here. Then I'll be racing in the US and Singapore. So those days don't count. And then I think by the end of July, my days start coming off. So if I want to go back to Lanzarote in, say, August to do a camp for Kona, that won't be an issue. Um, maybe next year I'll look at getting a Spanish visa much earlier so that my days spent at Club Basanta in Lanzarote don't actually count towards my 90 days. But yeah, it's a good lesson learned and uh, hopefully it will get easier. I think there's things that are kind of in the pipeline to make it easier for Brits to travel to Europe. Um, but for now, they're not in place. So, yeah, a bit of a frustrating situation, but I'm sure we can make the best out of it being at home and training here. How do you think you'll go with the turnaround from the PTO US Open to the PTO Asian Open being August 4th and August 19th? I think from memory, those dates are with obviously quite a bit of travel from from you going from the the UK to America to Asia to the UK and then with a little block into Kona. How do you think that entire patch will will sort of play out for you? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be super tough. I think it will be very interesting to see how many women actually do both, especially as the 70.3 World Champs is the weekend after Singapore. So it's a lot of racing in very um, close succession. So I can't imagine all the women will do both. I think the main thing, if you are going to do both, is just really focusing on your recovery after the US Open, like just being so on it with being healthy, kind of staying away from getting ill or sick or anything like that with the amount of traveling involved. And yeah, just making sure you're you're super on it with kind of hygiene, probably wearing masks when you're traveling between the races and yeah, it's, it's going to be a hard ask. I mean, definitely after that first uh, PTO race, um, it would have been tough to race um, again this weekend. I feel like I could have done it, but I haven't done a massive long haul travel in between. So, um, yeah, the people who recover the best and look after themselves the most are probably going to have the best results in those races. And so after the Asian Open in Singapore on August 19th, um, Kona is early October. Will you guys just go straight to... Kona from there and, and do a little block and a camp and, and live out there for a month or so? Um, we're undecided at the moment. I feel like we'll we'll probably go to Lanzarote um, after Singapore because it's a home away from home for us. We, we leave a lot of equipment out there that we can just kind of go straight into a training block and it should be relatively hot there in August. So the conditions won't be too dissimilar to Kona obviously off the back of Singapore is going to be incredibly hot and humid as well so that's kind of can be the start of the heat prep for Kona um, and then we'll, we'll usually head out to Kona at least two weeks before the race to fully acclimatize um, yeah so I think that's that's our plan at the moment. Something non-triathlon well it's, it's triathlon related but non, non-training and racing related that I've always wanted to ask you about Lucy is sort of the the media or the social media and the marketing side of triathlon. I don't know if we've ever had someone come into the sport and be so good at it and, and take their career to like this level that I definitely think no female has ever achieved. And I'd argue that there's maybe only one or two males that have ever achieved where you're almost bigger than the sport in a way. Like you would, you would make money based off your name and your presence on social media and that kind of thing now. Has that been something that you have curated by design or is it just like falling into your lap and and accidentally happened? Yeah, I guess it's never something that I really focused on. Um, I remember in my early days of triathlon or or even before when I was kind of just getting into triathlon, I actually worked um, in marketing at a local zoo. I did like their social media and that kind of thing. So I, I always enjoyed that kind of I guess that kind of thing I studied photography at school so I always enjoyed that kind of creative um, element to it and 
I do remember when I was an age group athlete racing in Kona and I was kind of going around the expo, seeing if I could get any sponsors to support me. And I remember someone saying to me, well, you just wouldn't know how to market yourself. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, we'll see about that. Like I, I definitely feel like I'm marketable. I, I enjoy this kind of thing. So whilst it wasn't really like to prove anyone wrong, I guess it kind of did give me a bit of motivation to, to see how well I could do it marketing myself. And now I feel incredibly lucky because my sister's part of that team. She she does all of our YouTube videos. She does the amazing photography. So we have a good team doing it. But I guess initially it was never my thought process. Oh, I need to be good at marketing myself to to get sponsors or anything like that. But I just kind of was able to grow a, a natural fan base just by sharing who I am. And I guess just sharing the love of what I'm doing. And people seem to resonate with that really well. They definitely do. You're, uh, I think you've... Yeah, I, I would actually, I always say this, I think you're the most loved person in triathlon. Maybe Lionel and Yana are as big as you, but I think you're the one who like is loved by by the fans of triathlon more than anyone. So kudos for you. And you mentioned Holly there, your your sister. She's an absolute beast, by the way. Like she might be <laughs> the best social media manager in the like the triathlon world. I don't know if everyone listening to this knows who she is, but like you, like you, this is actually a thing. Your team that you've curated around you is unbelievable. Like, obviously just chatted to Reese before we did this podcast and recorded my podcast with him where he talked about retiring from the sport and he like dedicates his life to you and, and then you have your sister who is just like an absolute beast at what she does and these people just making your career so much easier and, and you know making it so much easier for you to be a successful triathlete and a successful businesswoman um, outside of triathlon it, it's like must be a pretty um, special thing for you. Yeah I feel incredibly lucky to have these people in my corner and it really feels like a family effort as well. Like when we was up in Font Rameau, my parents were there supporting us. Holly was there again. The media, Reese was there just making my life easier, training more fun. And yeah, I do feel so, so lucky to have these people. I have an amazing physio who often travels with me. Um, Dan feels incredibly part of the family and the team as well. And I have a great manager as well. Um, yeah, so I guess I just feel so fortunate. And I it makes it, easier for me when I go into a race that it's like I'm not this is bigger than me I'm not just doing this for myself I'm doing this for all of the team that give up so much and invest in me so yeah it's incredibly special and I feel very very lucky the other thing you've sort of like subtly mentioned a few times but we haven't dug deeper on is your mentality and your competitive nature that that's probably the thing to me that your ability to swim off the front of races that's always been there and this competitive nature you seem to have, they're the two things that I've always sort of associated with with Lucy Charles. Where does that come from? Have you always had that? Is it something you have to work on? Um, and, and how do you see it? Yeah, I guess from the minute I was born, I, I've been competitive. I think growing up, I drove my sister completely crazy because everything had to be a competition. And um I, I often think actually she probably could have been really great at sport as well, but it was my fault that she she doesn't do that because she was like, God, I just can't deal with Lucy all the time having to win. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, I've always it's I've always wanted to win. I guess I've I've learned that actually when I don't win and when I have a result like in Ibiza where I, I wanted more. I, I get more out of myself when I go back into training when I don't win because I'm like, right, what do I need to fix? How can I be better? Um, but I, I've always loved to win. Um, it isn't all about that. I think I've learned that it is way more about enjoying what you're doing. And actually, when I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I have better results. But um, yeah, sometimes I often I joke with Reese and I'm like, why can't I just be happy to be middle of the pack, just having a good time? But it, it's just not who I am. Like I I relish being off the front. I just love to race and um, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I, I enjoy training, but I, I live to race and yeah, that's what it's all about for me. Have you had any races in the past where you've had a shit result by your standards and it's just eaten you up? Like afterwards, you've just been pissed off and for weeks you've just been pissed off and it's driven you in your training. And if so, can you tell me about it? Yeah, I think the most I've ever been annoyed at my result was definitely 70.3 Worlds um, after Kona last year. And I asked a lot of myself to be able to do that race so soon after Kona, particularly 
not having a big base because of my injury I mean I should have just been over the moon with my result in Kona but I wanted more I wanted to go and try and defend my title in Utah at the 70.3 Worlds and to come away with fourth and be off the podium I was like oh I'm, I'm not happy with this this is not me and I guess it just gave me a lot of motivation like normally in the off season I would spend a long time having a great time not training but I kind of wanted to get straight back into training and and really build on on kind of the year um yeah so I think like I said actually when I have a bad result I'm more motivated to go away and work hard I sometimes find it hard when I've had a really good result to kind of get back into training because I don't know why that is, but I'm like, oh, well, everything's working, everything's fine. We just can continue doing what we're doing. But actually, when it's not the result you want, you start diving into, right, how can I be better? How can I get an extra 1% out of my training? Do I need to feel better in this way? Do I need to recover better like this? It's kind of really diving into the training that I'm doing and making sure that I'm getting the maximal benefit from it. And is that all it is? Is it sort of just like, well, let's go back and reevaluate things and work harder? Or do you also stew on it and when you're doing sessions, are you thinking about it and like, is it is it driving you to that level? Um, I definitely don't feel like I'm an overthinker. Like I just, I, I enjoy to train. I enjoy to train really hard. I, I kind of get a little buzz from every workout that I'm able to do well at and I feel like that's enough for me. I don't need to be like, oh, why am I doing this? Is this exactly what I need to be doing? Like, I feel like I have the confidence in Dan and Reese to be doing that to make sure that my program is exactly what I need. So I can just follow the program and trust that they're giving me the right things. We will sit down after every race and, and look at what I've been doing and kind of make a plan from that. And once we've had that conversation, I don't need to then dwell on more like, oh, is this exactly what we said? Is this this? It's like, no, I'm confident that we're doing the right thing and, and let's just get back to work and, and keep grafting. The triathlon long course world at the moment, there's been a big shift and like everyone talks about science-based training. Everyone um, is back believing that high volume training is the best way. And, you know, how many people have we heard talk about the Norwegian method in the last two years? Do you sort of think that your training with Dan you know, does it follow any of these trends? Are you obsessed with lactate? Are you constantly measuring lactate? Do you guys follow a really high volume approach or yeah, what, where would you sort of say that your training sits amongst that? I feel like we definitely have the best of both worlds in my training. Like, yes, we have the science. We'll occasionally do the lab testing, occasionally use lactate for my training. Um, but as a swimmer, all of my training was based on feel and often I would swim entirely on feel and be able to hit exactly the pace that I needed again and again and again. So I feel like internally I have that feeling like I know what zone I'm in and I don't always need that validated by, oh, is my lactate this? And often it can be a bit overwhelming to just have all this data thrown at you. And I know it's super beneficial to Dan as my coach to have that data. So we will do it every now and again, but I prefer to just train on feel. And often I do get a lot from that. I'd say, this year was the first year where I've really done a, a nice, consistent, high volume block of work. Um, and I'd only just started to bring that intensity back in before Ibiza. And I think that's possibly where the frustration had come from, from me, because I was doing all this high volume, but I wasn't getting those sessions where I'd absolutely smashed myself and got that satisfaction. I was just sort of, okay, kind of going through the motions, getting the volume in and but actually now I'm starting to bring that intensity back. I'm starting to feel better than I had when maybe I was just doing intensity all the time. So um, I think that patience hopefully is going to pay off definitely in the later half of the season, knowing I did have a really solid foundation to set this season on. And now hopefully I can just push up that fitness by doing the training that I actually love doing. And I feel like it, it does suit me to do that kind of really top end threshold work, but knowing that you've done a big base before it um is probably going to help me over the Ironman distance but also allow me to be fast enough for the PTO racing. Speaking of the training you love doing what is the one session if you had one if you could if you're going to die tomorrow and God said to you whether you believe in God or not (laughs) he said look you're going to die tomorrow but you have to do one more session what would it be? Oh it's hard to pick It, it would either be a a swim or a bike workout I think but probably a bike workout because I just love doing 
really hard intervals, maybe five, 10 minutes where you can have your music absolutely blaring in your head. Um, you can't do that when you're swimming. So that's why I would pick cycling. But I kind of, you have to get the right song comes on. You almost get like goosebumps on your body because you're pushing it that hard and the what's the way you want them to be. And you're just absolutely smashing it. And at the end of each interval, you're like, oh, could I even do another one? But then you're like, yeah, let's try do another one. So um, yeah, I guess that's not super specific on what the workout is, but that's the kind of feeling I get when I'm I'm doing one of those super hard, like high threshold workouts. What kind of music are you listening to on the bike, Lucy? Oh, it kind of depends on my mood, but usually like I love a bit of um, Eminem and <laughs> NF, who's another rapper, like really like proper out there kind of intense music but it kind of just yeah it gets me in the zone and I'm really able to push it I love that like till I collapse by Eminem yeah that's a good one (laughs) that is one of the all-time good like um all-time good like kicker tracks I think everyone has listened to that on the kicker at one point or another I mean it's actually a a funny story because when I, I remember being like nine years old and my dad driving me to like the county championship swimming and we'd have Eminem blaring out in the car like <laughs> and I'm just like a little nine-year-old girl like knows all the words to the songs and yeah so I've got my dad to thank for that. Do you have a favorite Eminem song? I think Lose Yourself is my favorite but it's probably one of the most well-known ones as well but I, I pretty much know every word to that song so can you um can you sing us lose yourself and we'll use it as the intro song for the episode and everyone will listen to it and be like what the hell and they won't understand until until the end of the episode i would but i think you might lose a lot of subscribers (laughs) that would be actually really funny hey um last thing i'll ask you about lucy because um this this episode like so i've started a new series called the triathlon hour which it's like I used to just do how they train exclusively and this is still under the how they train bracket, but it's the triathlon hour because I want to talk about things that aren't just training and talk about triathlon in general, which is what I was doing anyway, but um, just to sort of like, because I love triathlon and, and love blending the two, talking about training and racing. And one of the most serious sort of non-training issues we've we've talked about at the moment um, is the Colin Chartier doping scandal. And I don't want to ask you a general question, like what are your thoughts on that? I want to ask you a really specific question because I thought one of the most fascinating things that happened in that entire period revolved around you, but I haven't really heard many people talk about it. It's that while that was going on, you posted a picture of your bike, which is like a pretty normal thing to, for you to do. And the people commenting on your Instagram picture of your bike being like, how can you, like it's a great bike or whatever, but how can you, while all this is going on in the triathlon world, post a picture of your bike? Can you talk to me about this? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I definitely kind of had a different few thoughts through this process. I mean, obviously, everyone was outraged. I was definitely outraged. It's something that I kind of, naive or not, didn't think went on in our sport. And I've I've been in sport my whole entire life and never really felt like I've seen or heard or kind of been close to anything like this going on. So... For me, I kind of sat back initially. I saw so many pros posting and I completely agreed with everything that was being said. Um, And for me, I was like, it gradually became who could be more outraged by the situation, who could. And it became more about everyone making it about themselves and their journey with sport. And I kind of feel like I've always been completely transparent with my thoughts behind the sport and doing it for the love of sport. I didn't feel like I needed to add to the conversation. So yes people were outraged by the fact that I didn't comment and I know I'm a a huge voice in the sport so potentially I could have added to it but I felt like actually I can't say anything that anyone hasn't already said so for me to then oh let's make it about myself and my journey in the sport and how I've always just done it for enjoyment and it's not all about winning it was kind of like well I'm not just gonna say the same thing as everyone else um there's a lot that we can do behind the scenes working with governing bodies working with the PTO to improve testing more out of competition testing which I know the PTO are, are are looking to do and that's amazing for the sport so as athletes actually we don't have to be super vocal on social media about everything it's what we can be doing with the bodies behind the scenes uh, to actually make changes and make the sport move forward and my last question for you today Lucy whether it's current day or whether it's in the past, who's your favourite triathlete of all time? I mean, kind of 
I came into the sport quite late, so I didn't know who anyone was. I didn't really know the history of the sport. So then I kind of started to learn about the sport. But I think for me, Jan Fredino will always be like the greatest athlete. I, I guess I learned about him super early on and we were in a race Kona as age groupers and he won the race. So, but I love the way that he's not just an amazing athlete. I love the way that he kind of presents himself and his attitude off of the race course is just very admirable. So yeah, I'm a huge Jan Fredino fangirl and yeah, always will be. Awesome, Lucy. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, absolute honour to chat. Like I said, I don't think it's just my opinion. I think you are the biggest name in female female triathlon and very close, if not the biggest name in triathlon. The, the man you just mentioned, Jan Fredino and maybe Lionel Sanders and the Norwegians and yourself, you're the you're the like the poster boys and girls of of triathlon. So it seriously, it's it's awesome to have you on the show. A triathlon podcast really isn't complete until it has an episode with you. Um, that that's why I say that. So thank you for coming on on you know the triathlon hour and how they train and and uh, and allowing us an hour of your time. I, I really appreciate it and can't wait to follow along this season. Oh, thank you very much. It's been great chatting to you and yeah, hopefully I can deliver a good season this year. Just do me one. Promise me one thing. That's all I'll ask. If you're not going to sing me Lose Yourself, which was my real big ass, so now you, you owe me one, of course. If you win Kona, let's do an interview the day after. That's all I'll ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Love it. All right. Well, we'll talk to you the day after Kona then, Lucy. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you, Lucy. I've been using Precision Fuel and Hydration basically all year now. I was just so sick of not having my nutrition nailed. I'd get this sporadic upset stomach like all the time. There were long rides where I'd finish and my gut would just be no good. Long rides that were the same, if not even worse, to be honest. And my whole time racing, one of my main worries leading up to the race and in the morning of, of the race was just like, how's my gut going to be today? And that's why I made the decision to finally nail it in 2023. And so I tried basically every brand I could find. And after testing everything for a few months, Precision was by far the best brand I tried. Like by far. I never have an upset stomach. I find their products subtle and easy to get down. Um, so yeah, I reached out to them and said, hey, like I love your product. I've been using it for a few months now. It's the only it's the only brand I want to use. Will you support the podcast? And like luckily they said yes, because if not, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be really, like, I'm just so happy that I get to bring bring like the news to everyone and, and provide a discount code so that you can try it for yourself. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that. My favorite products from, from them are the PF90 gel, or the PF60 drink mix, which I've been experimenting with lately and really love. Um, both of those I use on the bike. And then the PF30 gel for long runs or run sessions and the PH1500 electrolyte tablet. I just use all the time. I use it in the mornings or the night before long training days. Same like with, with the night before and, and the morning of like um, really hot training days where I've got a bit of training on. And I always have it on, on like the swim deck for my swim sessions. Um, if you care about your training and, and you want to dial in your nutrition too, just trust me. Go and try Precision Fuel and Hydration and you'll be like me and you, you just won't go back. You won't use anything else. Use the code HTT23 for 15% off your order at checkout. 